My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest today is Amy R. Buckley. Amy is a writer, speaker, and activist. She has contributed to several books, including Strengthening Families and Ending Abuse, Churches and Their Leaders Look to the Future, and Overcomer, Breaking Down the Walls of Shame and Rebuilding Your Soul. Most recently, she finished a chapter on biblical modesty for the forthcoming book, Dating During the Apocalypse, and other conversations on God, sex, and life. I love that title. Amy founded the Stop the Silence initiative as an editor for SheLoves.com, bringing to light domestic and sexual violence in Christian communities and calling for a response in Jesus' name. She serves on the board of Life Together International, empowering church leaders to bring strong communities in Uganda, and the U.S. Army has written articles for Relevant, Mutuality, Prism, She Loves, Share Justice, and Catapult. So much experience here. She's also a member of the Red Bud Writers Guild. Amy lives in Boise, Idaho with her husband and two daughters. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, Amy, you are a very well-respected voice in the conversation on women in the church. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you ended up exactly where you are now? Sure. Well, I grew up in a family who values women and men working side by side. My mother and my father actually moved to Boise, Idaho from the L.A. area when I was two because they saw it as an up-and-coming real estate area and they had a construction company that my mother managed the business end of and my father managed more of the nails and wood and the overseeing of contractors. So I watched them working side by side to build this business from scratch in Idaho and their business took off and to me that was normal that a wife and a husband would work together and the same time I had a grandfather who was an American Baptist pastor and he supported the full inclusion of women in ministry and as a kid he always encouraged me he would say practice the presence of God Amy embrace the fullness of who God made you to be and I used to go around with him on errands and I would observe him talking with people and and ministering to them or just encouraging them. And and that was a a huge inspiration to me. And I I knew from an early time that I was called to ministry. Although at that point, I had no idea that women in ministry have some hurdles to jump. And that came a lot later in my life. I also had extended family members who are academics. And I grew up listening to discussions about psychology and theology and history and politics and what the Bible has to say about any and everything that relates to having a faithful life. So it's kind of not surprising that I turned into a bit of a nerd, although I like building things too. Sort of picked that up from my dad. So every vocational test I ever took said I should be a minister and a writer. And I just grew up knowing that about myself. And I assumed that I would have this upward spiral 
as I went to school, and um, that was not my experience. When I began doing ministry in evangelical churches, I began to realize that women who are called to ministry are often marginalized, and it really surprised me. So was that your experience? Can you talk a little bit about what you went through as you're trying to pursue God's call and you're going, okay, this is how I was made? Like, what was your experience sort of exploring that, you know, over the first, over those early years? Well, I very naively became a worship coordinator for a church in the Boston area. And there was an egalitarian minded pastor at the time and and everything was going great. And Everybody was wanting to get involved in ministry and outreach to the local community. And I really believed it had a lot to do with growing the worship services and cultivating people's connection and love of God. And the pastor of that church retired. A new pastor came in who was not egalitarian minded, and he systematically removed every woman from the worship team and he demoted me to the nursery. And I, I say demoted mostly because I didn't have kids at the time. And I didn't feel gifted in that way, but he thought that was appropriate. And it just blindsided me. Like I couldn't understand why my gender was preventing me from doing the things God was calling me to do. And all of the work we had done that was spilling out into the community just stopped. And our church became very inwardly focused. And I ended up leaving. And it just it put me on a new track for um, understanding that women have these hurdles to jump. And there are all these questions about gender and the Bible. And what does God say about our roles? And is that relating to gender? Or is there a bigger picture? And this conversation just for us is really important. You know, most of the listeners to this show are parents. So I, I want to just give you a chance to sort of speak about that a little bit. Why is this issue of gender in the church and and globally, but specifically gender in the church? Why is it so important to you? Is it because of that experience you went through or, or are there other things at play there? Well, that experience prompted me to go to seminary and part of me just wanted to dig into what what does the Bible say about this? What's true? And I honestly started to doubt because there are passages in scripture, if, if you take them literally, And out of context, they sound like they prohibit women from teaching and having authority over men. I'm referring to the passage in Timothy. And so I wanted to go to seminary and figure that out. I wanted to understand what is true and what does God really desire for our communities. And so I, I went to seminary and I, you know, not surprisingly experienced, you know, more struggles just as a woman. People were asking me, well, why are you here? And I said, because I want to, I want tools to study God's word with integrity, and I want to write about God's word with integrity. And I, I noticed people asking again and again, "Well, are you looking for a husband?" And they were shocked that I wasn't looking. That was for like a husband. question people asked you. Uh huh. Wow. Uh-huh. And it was funny. And and if I sat down at a table with some young men who were married, the first thing they would say to me is, "Oh, I'm married." And I would say, "Cool, well, great." <laughs> Happy yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, what did you think about that lecture, you know, on the post adamant covenants? <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about something that I care about? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um I just in seminary I, I started to sort that out and I and I began to realize that more and more women than myself 
feel underutilized in church. And I did an article on this for Relevant Magazine called Why Don't More Churches Ask Women to Lead? And I found a statistic that one in five women feel underutilized in church. And so I started digging into that. And I started realizing that 41% of women are reporting that they have more opportunities to lead outside of their church and they're leaving. They're taking their talents and their gifts elsewhere. And that concerns me a lot because I really wonder if Christ's body isn't missing out on a treasure trove of gifts. And so that's one of the reasons this is so important to me. The other reason is this connection between gender inequality and violence against women in the larger world. And I devoted my thesis in seminary to studying this and came to the realization that one in three women suffer sexual and or sexual or domestic violence or stalking within a lifetime. And every year in the U.S., three million reports of child abuse are made. Um, and one in five high school students reports being physically or sexually abused by a dating partner. And I, I, the more I dug into this, the more I started to see what I consider to be the belly of the beast, that devaluing women is an offshoot of sexism and misogyny, and it causes us to treat women. And that's, that's why there's abuse and violence. And you hear you say the statistics, they're really staggering. Did you, so in your research and, and as you, you, as you sort of learned more, how did that shape your own goal setting? I mean, the, the things that you wanted to really step out in faith and do to pursue God's call and the way that you were just designed to do certain things that God wired you to do. How did the research you did sort of play into some of the choices that you made career-wise? Well, I also earlier in my life happened to be in a lengthy abusive relationship. So on a personal level, I I had a lot of reasons for wanting to dig into this issue and understand what God thinks about it and and what kinds of solutions there are and and also how can we prevent this from happening to girls and women. So Going to seminary was kind of twofold for me. It was partly for my own story and my own healing. And that was a lengthy process for me because I was battling through a lot of my own demons at the time. And at the same time, I was understanding this process of healing that women go through on the other side of experiencing abuse and violence. Um, And I didn't experience it to an extreme, like, I mean, my, the former partner never put a black eye, gave me a black eye or anything, but it was more emotional and psychological and a little shoving but it was enough to make me realize that the physical is not really the damaging part of this. It's, it's how it damages your, your view of yourself and your value of yourself. And so I started digging into, you know, what scripture says about that and, and what kind of healing is possible. Let's be here for a second and I'll switch gears in a few minutes. But will you just talk a little bit about what healing is possible? So when you start to seek that out and, and you know, despite some of these challenges that exist, like what is possible? Well, I think that, you know, a lot depends on the, the unique person and what that person has experienced you know, for me, a lot of the journey has revolved around understanding why God would allow any of this to happen. And 
I, I went round and round with these questions. God, you knew that when I was dating this man that he would abuse me. You knew that. And you and I prayed and I asked you to shut this relationship down if it was not the best for my future. And I truly believed that marrying him was the best for my future. And I really struggled with that question of why did you allow this terrible thing to happen? And I think that there are no easy answers. I think it, I camped out for a long time in Job and just reached this conclusion that God is good and God always turns us in good directions and meets us in the middle of these terrible things. And we can't understand why God allows it, but we can lean into those arms holding us through it. And we can hear those whispers as we're stepping forward. And, you know, I, I began to let go of asking the question why and focusing more on who am I and what did God make me for as a person. And, and the more that I began to hold who I am and the unique way that I'm made and the gifts that I have and turning them outward to bless other people, it, it was just all kind of this interconnected healing process that honestly, I'm still going through it today. I mean, I think you carry the wounds your whole life, but you move past the bitterness. Well, there is healing there, but I want to, my next question has to do with you as a mom, because you've experienced just this, you know, the rise and fall of like struggling with abuse and then, and then the healing that can come from that is a process. It's not, it's something that's, that's gained over time. And like you said, it's not something that you currently even possess. You're working towards it. But how does that conversation with yourself translate over to you as a mom and how you pour into your daughters? That's a great question. I think there's always this tension in myself because I want so much to protect them. And I want so much to tell them everything that I think they need to hear to be strong and to know what is true about themselves and to, as best I can, stack you know, the cards in their favor for not being abused. At the same time, I know I can't control their choices. I can't control the people who come into their lives. I can't control what God allows for their future. Um, any more than I can understand it. So there's always this tension of trying to teach them to be to be gentle and shrewd, but also not paranoid, but not to be overbearing about it. Definitely. I want to switch gears here and talk specifically about a couple of things that have come out recently. And you write for a ton of publications and you have a blog, but I want to reference a blog post called Barbie, We Need to Talk. And you talk about this moment when you were in high school and a teammate of yours, and it was, you were a dancer growing up. Is that right? In high school, I was on drill team. Yeah. So, and you talk about like weighing in and being on a scale and just sort of that, like the struggle of that as a young person. Will you tell that story for the people that don't know it? Well, I went to high school at a school that had the state winning drill team and we were called the golden girls. And so this team was this dream team of blonde, tall Norwegian type girls. And there are a lot of them in this area. Uh, Boise, Idaho has a lot of Scandinavians. So there was just this pressure that 
we had to be a certain mold and to have the long, pretty blonde hair and to dance a certain way and to, to win the state championship. And part of that pressure involved weighing in, which thankfully has been disallowed. And there were lots of girls who had eating disorders, unfortunately. And I had this just problem because one day I was getting weighed in and I was very tall. And one of the girls next to me noticed, oh, you weigh 136. Oh, I feel so much better about myself. And I felt terrible about that. It it really, something in my brain just clicked. And I, I started to become a bit obsessed with food and calorie counting and but I also struggled with discipline. So I, I really like food and I didn't want to count calories. And there was just a point where I just decided, well, this is who I am. And I guess I'll just settle into being mediocre and I'm not pretty. <laughs> and that was a sad kind of a period of my life. And, and it was something that God has, has worked a long time to turn around So in that same blog post, you talk about a statistic that really stuck out to me as a mom. And and Rooney's only two and a half, so it's like she's starting to feel her way around the world and we're not there yet. But the statistic was four out of five 10-year-olds say that they're afraid of being fat. And this story that you relay from high school drill team, I mean, this is like, you know, high school, but just I think what was staggering for me is looking at that going 10 years old, that's like third and fourth grade and just not knowing enough about their worth that they would feel that the majority of girls would feel that way. And I just think what you're talking about, that pressure that comes from, it doesn't come exclusively from the media. Girls apply this pressure on each other and your your drill team weigh-in is a, just a piece, another piece of evidence of that. Like this, this influencing of girls comes in negative ways, but it comes from outside sources. It comes, you know, interrelationally as they're trying to navigate friendships. So you know, you're the mother of two daughters. I'm the mother of a daughter. We have a ton of moms of daughters listening. What is our role? How do we as moms enter into this conversation and teach our kids what they need to know? I think it's a really complicated, complicated process. And the culture is so strong. And the kids are barraged, we all know, with images that we, w- we wish we could protect them from, but our culture is just sexualized everywhere we look. Even cartoons have a certain measure, you know, these little skinny princess girls. And thankfully that's changing a little bit. Disney's taken a little initiative to paint some diversity. Um, but it's, it's a difficult thing. I think, first of all, we have to know as parents that it's, it's normal and it's our responsibility to speak into our daughters' lives and our sons, too. But ultimately, they're free, and they will make their choices. And there's always this tension between speaking truth to them and not wanting to be so intense about it that it actually drives them toward the thing we're trying to warn them about. And the strategy I've taken with my own girls is not to keep them from these images. I I try to introduce them to the images so that we can talk about them. I I really had a dilemma over whether or not we should have a Barbie doll. And I didn't want to be this like extreme feminist mom who's like, no way, you're not going to have that. I knew it would just make them want it more. So we adopted Barbie into our house. (laughs) And we began having conversations about her and how 
if she really had those proportions of a body, she would only have half an intestine. Her head would be so heavy she couldn't walk. Her body wouldn't be capable of having a baby. And my kids thought that was really, really sad, which made me happy. (laughs) I I also love to to reinforce that Barbie has all these different outfits. She can be an astronaut. She can be a scientist. I think we can use some of these toys that maybe we question as a tool, a teaching tool. And so that's one practical way that I've tried to navigate this whole cultural, you know, sexual world we live in. Um, The other thing I really try to reinforce again and again is just the beauty of my daughters as being created in the image of God. And specifically, if I notice that one of them is being generous, you know, one of my daughters is just particularly generous. And I really believe God made her that way. And We had a neighbor whose house burnt down and she gave away her favorite toys to the little girl who lost her toys and she never wanted them again. And and I I just reinforced to her, look at how wonderful God made you, that you are, are wanting to share your toys with this girl. And for each daughter, that's different. And I think there are just unique ways we can reinforce their strengths and and remind them you reflect God's image in the world and physical beauty is a power but we also have power because we bear what in the Hebrew scripture um, the word is azer which is really a warrior help the word for um, help that is used to describe the first woman it has connotations pointing at a warrior and it's actually used 16 out of 21 times when Israel was in dire straits and they're calling out to God, please save us, rescue us. We need your strength. And so these gifts that are in our daughters are beautiful and they are strong and sexuality and physical beauty is, is also a gift, but it's, it does not define them. There are so many people listening that I know just, I I mean, even just the words that you're using, the words of encouragement to be able to say, you know, to pick and choose a few of these things, to just speak over your kids would be my encouragement to the people that are listening. It's certainly something that that is on my heart. You know, it's hard as moms to know the right words to say. And that's, I'm really committed to like, what is the right thing to say in this situation? But there is no right thing. There's just, there's just something that's true. That's from the Lord. So that's just, that's what I'm hearing you say right now. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of substance here. Thanks. And, and I think also a lot of the imagery that is even in church, like there's a lot of imagery that little girls are princesses and, and they need to be rescued by the boys who are princes. And, and, you know, I think that, that that's, something to be careful about because I mean, ultimately our daughters are princesses. They are the daughters of God. And so if we talk about them being princesses, I think it's really important to frame that in um, the understanding that you are literally, you are royalty. You are created to bear this image and Christ is in you. And you weren't made just to be rescued or to be passive by a man. And, and, that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, give or receive help, but that that's not the end all be all. I mean, ultimately we are made for God. 
No, I love yes. that too. And just as we wrap up, I, and what you're talking about is just differentiating, you know, like actual royalty and them being princesses to just the contextual, like what we get in the context of like Disney princesses. And when you think of the word princess, like what what connotation comes, at least like the first one for children is not that image bearing royalty of God. It's it's that other one. Mm-hmm. It is. As we wrap up, Amy, and I could talk to you about this forever. It's so interesting. I love having you here. We do just a quick three questions at the end of each episode. It's called The Scoop. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay, so obviously Heroes for Her is the name of our podcast. We love heroes, specifically for girls. But when you were a girl, who was your hero? Nancy Drew. Without oh, a- we were just talking about Nancy Drew over here. She was the best. Wasn't she? I just loved her. She was smart and she she just... Yeah, she was. A, she took initiative. She was my total hero. She was so, she was so clever. clever. I yes. loved it. Second question. What is a piece of advice that you've received that has impacted your life in a powerful way? I love the saying, never, ever, ever quit. And I, you know, having grown up with a clear idea of what I believe God was calling me to do, and, and I am doing that today. I think I realized that the path would be a lot easier than it is. And there are a lot of obstacles, a lot of things that happen that are unexpected. And there have been times where I just completely wanted to give up. There's, you know, and I've told God, there's no way this is ridiculous. I can't do this anymore. And there have even been times where I ran the other direction and just didn't do what I was called to do. I had actually a couple of years where I didn't write or do anything. And I've just learned that whenever those obstacles come, those are like signposts. They're just pointing us in a new direction. And instead of looking at them as impossible things, I, I've learned to look at them as, okay, this is a redirection. Obviously, this thing that I wanted that didn't work out is, is not the thing. So I'm going to go after another direction. And, and God's used that again and again to help me just to continue on and to dig deep and keep going. Last question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Ooh, I think I would want to be invisible. That would be fun. Getting to, to know what people are saying, but see, I don't know, maybe reading, mind reading would be kind of fun too. Although it would probably be very scary. <laughs> probably scary. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'd want with my mind. <laughs> no, yeah, only only read other people's minds. No one, no one can read yours ever. It's really funny. Amy, thanks for being here. As we wrap up, would you let people know the best place, how can they find you and learn more about what you're up to? Well, I write a lot for different publications. I am fairly regular writer for relevant magazine. Um, and I have a blog. I've turned a lot more attention to my blog in the last year at amyrbuckley.com. I'm also on Twitter at amyr underscore Buckley. So I would love to hear from people. And I, I, the best part of my day, honestly, is connecting with people through social media. Amy, we are so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Erin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode, or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, 
We would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at biblebells.com. Just let